Welcome back, everybody. Episode 73 of the Sports Gospel. Happy to have you with us yet again. This week, part one of our NFL preseason preview. Darren and Andrew are going to take you through the NFC. Next week, Shannon and Kevin will be back on to do the AFC with us. But this is the time of the year. We're all antsy. Calendar is going to be turning to September. By the time this episode drops, we are all full on ready for football. We had an interesting first week of college football. Sorry, Nebraska fans. But now that it's September, that kind of fall crisp is getting into the air, and we are all ready for full-speed football for the next about four months, going to dominate our collective sports lives. And we will bring it to you every step of the way, our thoughts throughout the season from now until the Super Bowl and the College Football National Championship game. For this week's episode, going to look at this kind of division by division and team by team. It's kind of breaking down who we think is going to win each division, who we're looking at as our playoff teams, and maybe talk about who's going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And which division did you want to start with, good sir? Um, Let's start at the bottom and work our way up. And I think the bottom is very clearly the NFC East. Ooh, don't, don't. And that's that's the fan the the fan the division with the most passionate fan base is the NFC East. When you look at the Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, and they get used to calling them Commanders in Washington, those are probably your biggest NFC fan bases. So you're coming out guns blazing, calling them the worst division. Uh, yeah. Well, it's been that way for a while, and uh, it hasn't changed. So I think it's just going to be a war of attrition yet again in this division, and that's kind of how it's been for the past five, six years. And I don't really see it changing this year. So I don't think there's one really superior division. We'll get to what I think is the best division later. But to me, this, this division is really completely open. Um, the Tyron Smith injury is a big deal. I think Dallas it was kind of the favorite pre that injury, post that injury. I think that really makes a big difference for, the Dallas Cowboys, because when their offensive line, they had to shift to Connor McGovern last year when Tyron Smith was hurt, you could tell the difference in the way the whole offense ran. And I don't think Dallas is elite defensively by any means. What I really think this does is this really opens the door for the Eagles, who I think have had a really good offseason, traded for A.J. Brown, got Jordan Davis, today actually just traded for another corner from the saints to really load up their defensive backfield, Darius Slay, Bradbury, Chauncey Gardner, Johnson, the Eagles have a good defense to go with the, uh, the offense that should be improved. It's not going to be elite by any means. And also they made a a wild card spot last year. I think the Eagles are going to take the next step this year. So I, I, don't want to bury the lead too much, and I'm going to take the Eagles to win this division. I think it'll be a race between the Eagles and the Cowboys, and then um, the Commanders and, and the Giants can fight it out for third and fourth, and they might be two of the, the worst teams in uh, the NFC, so they might be way down there. I think it's going to be maybe like a like a 10-7 and seven Eagles team or a 9-8 and eight Eagles team winning this division. So Cowboys eight and nine. I think the Tyron Smith issue injury is a big deal. And so I, I go one, two that way with the Eagles and the Cowboys slight nod to the commanders, I think over the giants and the giants fourth. I have a difference in ranking from you. I 
I do think the biggest thing is how much the Cowboys lost. You mentioned Tyron Smith, Amari Cooper gone, going to the Browns, Randy Gregory. You can argue how much he was worth, but that's still a, a bona fide edge rusher who's gone. I just think the Eagles bring back the most talent all across the board. You look at Washington and the commanders. Yes, that defense is great, especially on the front, but what do they have at offense? We're never quite sure what Carson Wentz Wentz is going to bring to the table and what shape he's in. I don't know what they have outside of Terry McLaurin. You're liable on that offense. Brandon Scherf, their main offensive lineman, is now in Jacksonville. So I think the commanders, as great as Ron Rivera is as a coach and as great as that defense is, I just think all the they don't have all the pieces put together. The Cowboys lost a lot. I think Dak will still have another great year. Guys like CeeDee Lamb, Zeke, uh, Zach Martin, some of these guys are the top players at their positions in the league. But I think Dallas is in kind of that 500 range. I think they're going to be kind of that 9-8, and 8-9 eight, eight and kind of team. Eagles maybe just a game ahead of them at 10-7. and seven. So I don't know that there's a team that's going to blow me away here. I don't see a Super Bowl contender in this division. But I do think it's the Eagles to lose. I do want to touch on the coaching here quick. To show you just how much turnover there is in the NFL, Mike McCarthy was hired by the Cowboys and Ron Rivera was hired by Washington in 2020. And heading into their second season with their respective franchises, they are the longest tenured teams or longest tenured coaches in the NFC East. Brian Dable taking over for the Giants this year. And you had Nick Sirianni take over for the Eagles last year. And I do like Nick Sirianni just seems like, of all the coaches, fittingly for the Eagles, he's the one most likely to get into a bar fight and looks like he would probably win. So a fiery, tough guy, loves to scream and holler. So a guy who just got hired in 2021 and then Dable hired in 2022 for the Giants. I think Dable's could be the future. He's this offensive mastermind. Everybody gives him credit for what he did with the Bills. So I think Brian Dable has the credentials and will be the guy for several years in New York. But I think this is the year they ride out Daniel Jones and eventually they turn the page next year. So they could be in that. C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis lottery at the end of the year. I think coaching is going to go a long way here. Nick Sirianni is proving he's kind of the young up-and-comer. I think we've seen the best days with Mike McCarthy and Ron Rivera in the past. Both still qualified, talented, great coaches. But I think when you look at coaching and talent on the field, it's it's the Eagles to lose their division to lose right now. Totally agree. Um, kind of surprised what you pulled out there with uh, McCarthy and Rivera being the Longest tenured coaches in this division. I mean, you mentioned it, passionate fan bases. It doesn't really lead to a lot of patience with the uh, head coach in most of these franchises. So we could see some turnover. I mean, if Dallas misses the playoffs, I, I have to think that they won't just roll it back with McCarthy. I think there would be a real push to um, try someone else yet again. So, and you know, Jerry Jones will do it. So, I'm I'm here for that drama, and I think that's part of why I'm picking uh, the Eagles to win the division. If you had to take a quarterback from this division, who do you want? Is it hands down D- Dak Prescott, or have have you fallen in love with Jalen Hurts? Do you think Carson Wentz can be a reclamation project, or is this just Dak is clearly well, the best? I mean, I'm obviously immediately taking out Wentz and and Daniel Jones, so it's really a Dak Jalen Hurts question. I. I think it really depends on it. Are we asking about this year or are we asking about five years from now? Uh, right now, starting this year, you get them for 17 games this right year. Right now, starting this year, I got to give the slight edge to Dak Prescott. I do think Jalen Hurts will take a step up, 
just purely just based off the fact that he's going to have a, a decent offensive line. So will Dak. Um, even without Tyron Smith, I don't think the Dallas Cowboys offensive line will be horrible. It just won't be the great play that they're used to. That usually leads to good seasons for them offensively. I think it will be a lot closer than people think between those two this year. Jalen Hurts only threw 16 touchdown passes this year. I'm going to go ahead and say he's going to throw at least 20 this year, and I think that's enough to kind of put him in that Dak range. He also runs for more touchdowns than what Dak does right now. I think he'll be a little bit better just because of the quality of the receiving play, right? A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard. He's got decent options that he can throw the ball to. Gainwell out of the backfield, Miles Sanders. I I like Hurts. I like Hurts taking another step up, although that playoff game last year against the Buccaneers was was a little bit brutal for Jalen Hurts. I, I, I will take Dak, but not by much. Here's maybe a better question then. Which wide receiver from this division do you want? A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, or Scary Terry McLaurin? Yes, the Giants have wide receivers, but I don't think any of them are on the level of those three guys. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, so the Giants wide receivers, we can count them out. That's a really great question. In some ways, I think Scary Terry is the most talented of the three, but doesn't really get the chance to show it based off the quarterback play. He's going to play with the best quarterback he's ever played with this this season, which is not saying much. It's not really that big of a step up. Um, although Carson Wentz is the best that he's ever played with. It's not a big step up. I think I'll have to go C.D. Lamb here. I think the talent is maybe a little bit higher than McLaurin, but if I'm if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm Lamb, Scary Terry, A.J. Brown in that order, but I don't think there's a lot separating the three of them. Kind of like the quarterback position. I don't really think there's a lot separating them. Uh. I I would agree with you. I, was, I would probably go AJ Brown. Then I I do like Scary Terry as more of your possession guy. I like the other two as your big play threats, but I do like McLaurin if I need just a, a quick first down in the clutch. And then I'd rather have AJ Brown or CD Lamb for the big play. But I'm a I'm a AJ Brown believer, and I'm curious to see what he can do for Jalen Hurts and what they can do for each other. Uh, as we're recording this, it is NFL Cutdown Day, so everybody's getting down to their 53 man rosters. So a lot of a lot of the depth for some of these teams is currently in flux, but it did crack me up reading the Cowboys cuts and they cut both of their backup quarterbacks. So Dak is currently the only quarterback on the Cowboys roster. So I don't know if there's somebody that came available. They're really interested in, but <laughs> our, our friends at our lads have the depth charts up to date so much. We know that Dallas currently has one quarterback. Interesting. Who exactly did they cut? I'm not familiar with the uh, Dallas backup quarterbacks. Cooper Rush is the guy they had forever, and they cut him. And then I would have to vamp here until I look up who's the other guy they cut. It was a decent name. Uh, ben Denucci. No, bigger bigger name than him. Let's see if I oh, can. Oh, okay. This really, really quick. All right. Um, well, no, there's there's a yeah. So cut down Dale. All these, and it's not going to again not affect the the starters, but it's interesting to see some of these, like I forgot Muhammad Sanu was in the league. So you see where some of these guys are who have bounced around the league. Um, now it was um, Will Greer, West Virginia Will, alum, Will Greer. Will Greer. Greer. Okay. He and Cooper right. both got cut today. Well, uh, Tim, Tim Boyle got cut by the lions. So former Packer there, uh, 
human victory cigar. So <laughs> go ahead and sign them, sign them up, Dallas, if you need a backup quarterback. Plan. There, there we go. They saw that Tim Boyle got cut by the Lions, and they decided we got to get rid of the other two guys so we can bring in Tim Boyle. I mean, I hate to say it, Dak is has had some issues with injuries in his recent past, so it seems a little bit risky to uh, not carry a second quarterback. So we'll see. That's that's a very interesting thing that you just brought up there. Somebody's going to pop in there. They must have their eye on somebody. But anything else on the NFC East before we move on? I, got, I, I guess I should say I have the Eagles as my division champion and playoff team. I think the Cowboys are in the playoff hunt, but uh, we'll get to that later. I'm not totally sold on them being in. Yeah, we, we can't get to that later. I think uh, both those teams are probably in, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. What division do you want to do next? Let's go NFC South. I don't think there's a lot separating the South and, and the North. They're kind of similar situations. I think with one clear-cut team at the top and then um, three teams who are maybe in the middle, one, one really bad team. I think there's... In the NFC South, you know, Tampa Bay is the class of the NFC South. Favorites to win the division. That's who I'm picking to win the division. I'm not going to pick against them, although it is a little bit of a concern. The injuries on the offensive line for Tampa Bay, it might make you think twice about New Orleans. But, again, I'm I'm putting my faith in uh, who's quarterback in the team. I, I'm not going to go ahead and pick Jameis Winston to – win a division that has Tom Brady in it. I'm not willing to go out in that on that limb. As much as I don't like Tom Brady, and I could talk about that all day, I'm not dumb. I'm not picking against Tom Brady. So Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won in this division. Saints clear-cut number two, I think. And then the Panthers are going to at least – I think Matt Rule kind of has to at least – try because he might in some ways be fighting for his job next season and which is maybe some of the point in bringing in Baker Mayfield and naming him the starter and Baker's not he's definitely the third best quarterback in this division but he's not horrible it's not like what we've got going on down in Atlanta where they're clearly obviously trying to tank to get into that CJ Stroud Bryce Young territory for next season so Atlanta is by far the worst team, maybe one of the worst teams in the NFL. Um, and so they're going to finish fourth and Carolina at third. And I think we could kind of see like a – in much like last year, Carolina got off to like this 3-0 start. Everybody was saying, oh, what's going on with the Panthers? Has Sam Darnold turned it around? I think we could see like a 3-2 and or a 4-1 start out of Carolina this year. And then them just kind of fade and miss the playoffs, just barely finish with six or seven wins, that kind of a thing. So that's kind of how I see this division shaking out unless something really funky happens with the Buccaneers, which I guess is not out of the question. You have the offensive line injuries. You have the weird 11-day hiatus by Tom Brady. You have aging guys who are who are really good on defense, but they're aging. Um, so this could be a really interesting division. 
the Tom Brady leave of absence thing, I think, is one of those things people are just grasping at straws for. They just need something to talk about. We need so much NFL content. It's Tom Brady. I'm 0% concerned. He's the. It took me a long time to come around to admitting it. He's the GOAT. He knows how to get himself ready. He's going to be there. I'm far more concerned about that offensive line. I think bringing Shaq Mason in to fill one of those spots is a good move. But I, I am concerned about the guard and center spot. We know Tristan Wirfs is going to be great on the outside. Donovan Smith, very good at the other tackle. So they got the outside. I think Shaq Mason, who is a former New England Patriot, so he and Brady have that relationship. It's the other two guys that I'm very concerned about. Can they open up those holes? People seem to be falling in love with Leonard Fournette as well and thinking he's finally the Leonard Fournette we thought he was going to be. I'm not totally sold on that. But you've got Brady. You've got Mike Evans. You're eventually going to have Chris Godwin back. Uh, Julio Jones also coming down there to get a ring. Scotty Miller, Russell Gage. They've got all these kind of different tools, all these different receivers that can do different things. And the defense, I think, is going to be great. The guys they lost, you know, guys like Dominican Sue are not there anymore, but they bring in Akeem Hicks to fill that void. You still have William Golston, Vita Vea, the linebacking core, the best linebacking core in the league with Devin White, Levante David, and Shaq Barrett. And the back end of the defense is fantastic. Antoine Winfield Jr., the young guy, may be the best of the bunch. So the defense is going to be there. Tom Brady's going to be there. The weapons are going to be there. I think Tampa Bay runs away with this division because, again, as you mentioned, it's not that great of a division. They're kind of the best by default. They may not run away and be a 13-14 win team, but I still think they're going to be the playoff contender. They were kind of my Super Bowl pick before the season, and then when they lost their entire interior of the offensive line, I got a little bit skittish. But I don't think there's anything stopping the Bucks from conquering this division. And like you mentioned, Atlanta's clearly at the bottom. I think they're probably at the bottom three of the entire NFC with the Seahawks and Bears. So a little bit of a spoiler for where we're going here. I think those three are the bottom. You throw in the Texans are probably the four worst teams in the league this year. The Saints and Panthers are curious for me. Uh, going back to my coaching game, do you know who the longest tenured coach in the NFC South is? It is... Uh... It's Matt Rule. It is Mr. Matt Rule, also hired in 2020. So, again, you see the way the NFL carousel constantly is moving as coaches. Arthur Smith is there at the Falcons. I can't tell if he's just a sacrificial lamb for them or if they're letting him get his feet under him and the next year he can get Bryce Young and they can grow together. And I feel like there's the two coaches. We kind of forget that the Buccaneers hired Todd Bowles, who had a tough run with the Jets, but who's not going to have a tough run with the Jets. So kind of getting his second chance to take over a great defense. And then Dennis Allen with the Saints, two coaching hires so that nobody really talks about. But I think the Dennis Allen, he's a proven guy. He's been around the NFL getting another chance. I believe he was at the Raiders before, back when they were constantly mired in turmoil. I think he's very interesting. And you look at the Saints roster, they are loaded everywhere but at quarterback. If Michael Thomas is back healthy, if Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry, loaded receiver core, the offensive line is great, bringing in James Hurst to go alongside Andrus Pete, Ryan Ramchek, Eric McCoy, all great. Alvin Kamara has got his off-the-field issues to figure out. You bring back Mark Ingram for that one-two punch. Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, Marcus May, Teron Matthew they brought in, Marshawn Lattimore, those are all top 100 players. The Saints are loaded everywhere at quarterback. Andy Dalton and James Winston are who you're trusting to win games. That scares me. But if you can use the rest of the team to win games, I don't think it's out of the question for the Saints to be a 9-7 and team. I think for that seventh playoff spot, it's going to be between the Cowboys and the Saints duking it out. I have my other six teams, and I was looking at this like, man, who's going to get the seventh spot? And as much as I don't think the Saints or Cowboys are great, they'd basically be sacrificial lambs for that second uh, second seed team in the NFC. 
I think it could be the Saints. So Bucks, Saints, and then Panthers. Yeah, they're in a weird spot. Defense is great. A lot of defensive talent. But what do you have with Matt Rule, Baker Mayfield? Is Christian McCaffrey healthy? I just feel like the Panthers are this. Yeah, they're a six and ten team. They get rid of Matt Rule, Baker, and whoever else leave, and then they just start fresh next year. So the Bucks, the Bucks, I think are going to be several games ahead of everybody in this division. Probably eleven or twelve wins to eight or nine for the second place team. Yeah, I, I absolutely see the Bucks as like a twelve and five team. Um, and yeah, you're right. Uh, the Panthers are six and eleven. I see. I see the Saints as a nine and eight, ten and seven. I don't necessarily see them fighting it out for that last wild card spot. We can we can get to that later. Um, but yeah, I think we have the same order finished. So we're all chalk all the way across the board here. So I wonder if we're going to shake it up when we talk about the NFC North. I think so because I think there are well. I hate to really give you any credit, but just by virtue of they have the best player in the world, your stupid beloved Packers are my pick to win the division here. But I think it's going to come down to the final week. I don't have their schedules right in front of me. But I think the Vikings are going to make a run. That's that's one of my big, bold predictions. I don't know much about new head coach Kevin O'Connell. Kirk Cousins is woefully underrated. But you look at this team. This is a Super Bowl roster. Justin Jefferson is my pick for the best receiver in the league. He is assuredly a top 15 player overall in the NFL. Adam Thielen still has some juice. Offensive line is good, not great. They're improving there. Irv Smith is an amazing tight end. Dalvin Cook is a top five running back. If Kirk Cousins just doesn't lose games, this is a 12-13 win team. They reloaded the defensive line, stole your boys, Adarius Smith over from Green Bay, Jordan Hicks and Eric Kendricks there, Daniil Hunter still doing his thing, Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith, Cam Dantzler Jr. is a nice young piece. They added a lot of young guys in the drafts, uh, Louis Seen, Andrew Booth, Brian Asamoah II. So a lot of young talent on the defensive side of the ball. If that, and we'll, whatever Kevin O'Connell has in that secret sauce, if he comes in and, you know, Pardon the easy name puns here, but if he Kevin Stefanski's this team into the playoffs like he did for the Browns a couple of years ago, I think coaching and competent quarterback plays the only, only thing holding the Vikings back. It's boring to talk about your Packers. Yes, they're great. Aaron Rodgers is a weirdo, but he's still the best player in the world. I don't like that they don't have any wide receivers. And don't try to tell me that Romeo Dobbs or whoever that guy is is suddenly now Devontae Adams. The Packers line is going to be great as long as they're all healthy. Rodgers is going to be great. The two-headed running backs are going to be great. And we know how much you love the Packers secondary. So the Packers, I think the Packers and Vikings are both looking at 12 win seasons. The Bears are going to be terrible. Justin Fields is going to get beat up. This is a rebuilding year. They're basically jettisoning jettisoning everybody. They're going to tear it down and rebuild around him for the next couple of years. So be prepared for a tough few years, Bears fans. And then the Lions. I think the Lions are a six or seven win team. We can touch on them. I want to let you get in here. We can come back to the Lions. But I definitely think the Lions are better than people are giving them credit for. But I think the Packers are going to win, but I think the Vikings are going to give them every bit of a fight they want. I I don't – I'm not as high on the Vikings as you are. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, most people aren't. Um, I, they're, they're my team I'm in love with that nobody else loves. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Zedarius Smith and Daniil Hunter. The problem with those guys is they're great in theory, but they don't show up on the field. They both have been ravaged with injuries lately. So um, I, I really wouldn't expect much out of them. Harrison Smith is another year older. Kendricks is another year older. You mentioned some of the talent that they've added through the draft. That talent's really going to have to come through. 
but also their corners um, have just gotten eaten alive the past couple of years. They didn't really do anything to fix it. You mentioned Lewis Seen. I think that's a good addition as well. Obviously, you can't deny Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, but the offensive line is bad. The offensive line for the Minnesota Vikings is still bad, um, and that's a problem in the NFL. So I am actually going to take the Vikings to finish third in the division. Ooh. And the team that I'm going to take over them is the Detroit Lions. Wow. Here I, I was thought, here I thought I was high on the Lions. I am much higher on the Lions. I've had um, – maybe it's just because I'm, I'm friends with a, a guy who's a, a diehard Lions fan. He's really been pumping them up to me. So maybe that's part of it as well. But I also – I like the Lions for another reason, and, and that's the schedule. Go and look at the schedule that the Lions have and tell me that they don't have a legitimate chance at finishing second in the division. Now, week one, they start out with the Eagles – I think they're going to lose that game, even though it's in Detroit. But week two, they get the commanders in Detroit. I think that's a very winnable game. Lions-Vikings, divisional game. I think those teams are probably a little bit closer than what people realize. You talk about the weapons that the Vikings have. I think the the Lions are going to have weapons with Swift, Hawkinson. They went out and got DJ Chark. Amon Ross, St. Brown came on at the end of the year. I really like the Aiden Hutchinson thing on defense. I also love the Lions offensive line. Problem is, is that I'm putting a vote of confidence into Jared Goff, but Jared Goff had the Rams in, in a spot where, where they were in the Super Bowl. It wasn't because of Jared Goff. It was obviously because of the team around him um, and the defense around him. But I also I think that the Lions are kind of – not to that level, but building it up in a way. And I also feel like the hard knocks bump. I feel like teams that are, I don't have any way to back this up, but the teams that are on hard knocks seem to turn it around. They're on hard knocks for a reason because the NFL believes that they're going to somehow be better than they were last year. So I'm, I'm counting on the lions to make a big turnaround commanders in week two Vikings in week three on the road. I think they start out one and two, but then they get, the Seahawks at home, they go to the Patriots. I don't think the Patriots are going to be that good this year. I think, in fact, I think the Patriots are going to be kind of, kind of bad. Um, the Cowboys, we'll see what the Cowboys look like in October. Um, Dolphins at home, tough game, winnable game though. Bears, they, they get to play the Bears twice. They play the Giants. They play the Jets. They play the Panthers. They play the Jaguars at home. Am I crazy to think that the Lions could make the playoffs with that schedule? If they're That's- if they're gonna if they're gonna make a leap, I think this is the year because of the schedule that they've got and also the upgrading talents that they've that they've had. And I would absolutely love to see the Lions do it. They're the little engine that could, the downtrodden team that always gets beat up, and it would be a great story for them to make the run. I'm just not sure that I see it. I I agree with you. Jared Goff gets beat on more than he really deserves to, but Hawkinson's a great weapon. Amon Ross St. Brown is coming along. I just wonder if they need another guy on the outside. Offensive line's fantastic. If DeAndre Swift keeps developing, they'll have a good running back to lean on. I would like to see maybe an, another big time weapon on the outside. And then these 
well, just like, I just feel like they're missing a difference maker. I like Aiden Hutchinson. I like Omani Arawarie. And they have, they have nice pieces on the defense, but like a Jeff Okuda needs to prove that he, why he was a top five pick. Somebody like that needs to come along. I just, you know, when one or two big playmakers on the defense would, would really make me a believer in the Lions. Yeah, that is the problem with the Lions. I will admit the secondary big question marks. Um, yeah, Okuda has to live up to his potential. I don't know if he will. You talk about that difference maker on the outside, though. Uh, don't forget, Jamison Williams going to start the year inactive. Probably won't play for a few weeks, but will um, play it, uh, later on in the year. And I do think that Jamison Williams has the capability of being that that difference maker wide receiver. I think he's going to kind of be – he's going to come back. It's going to take him maybe a week or two to get kind of adjusted after coming back. And then I think he's really going to take off kind of the way we saw Amon Ross St. Brown take off at the end of the year. But part of that was because of the receivers that they were throwing to at the end of the year. Like the lions, they had injuries and the competition for targets were, was like Khalif Raymond and Craig Reynolds. So like Amon Ross St. Brown didn't have any competition, but when, when you go get DJ Chark, who had some good moments in Jacksonville, you take a wide receiver high with Jamison Williams, you kind of expect that that's going to improve. And then we know what Swift has done. We know Hawkinson has been, they've got Jamal Williams. Like they, they have plenty of uh, pieces on offense. I think once Jamison Williams is back, it's, it's a great thing having Amon Ross St. Brown as like your number two wide receiver instead of your number one and target the three spot. Right. And Williams is your number one guy. And, a guy like Hawkinson, who is a security blanket. So I think there's the offensive upgrade, which is the way the NFL is going. You know, you just have to have a high scoring offense. I think the Lions have the pieces to kind of put up some points. The problem is that Jared Goff is going to give away a lot of points too. And that's uh that gives me some pause, but I just believe in the Lions offense overall. I think Adam Thielen, for the Vikings is maybe going to take a, a little bit of a fall off of a cliff this year. And so that's why I'm, I'm a little bit more out on the Vikings. I'll do it. I do think they'll throw the ball a lot more. Kirk cousins will put up great numbers. So will Justin Jefferson, but I, uh, I'm a little, I'm just going to go ahead and, and be different and take the lines at two and the Vikings at three. I'll probably get proven wrong and that's fine. And I'm okay with that. It's hey, it, gotta. What's what's the betting analogy? Gotta bet big, something, something more clever than high risk, high reward. But I don't know what it is. Yeah, I uh, gotta risk it to get the biscuit. I mean, there's a there's <laughs> all kinds of things you could say. I don't know. Um, yeah. Do we need to talk about how bad the Bears are going to be? No, um, no, we don't. Um, I mean, you talk about the Packers not having wide receivers. Um, go check out the Bears wide receiver room and get back to me. Darnell Mooney's uh, going to get a thousand targets just by somebody has to. I mean, yeah, and no, I don't think Romeo Dobbs for the Packers is the second coming or anything of that nature. Um, of like Devonte Adams or anything like that, but. Could he go to the Bears right now and be their best wide receiver? Yes. Yes. I just, 
I wonder if Justin Fields is going to get like Sam Darnold did where no matter how much talent you have and people who are trying to say that Justin Fields is on the same level as Trevor Lawrence. No, no, thank you. But he can still be a good quarterback. We just have no idea because they just don't have enough around him. There's, there's other young guys. David Montgomery's young as a running back, Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney, all these guys were drafted in 2020. So everything they have is really, really young. I just wonder the offensive line is kind of, old or piecemealed together. I don't know who's the the best guy they have there. Maybe Tevin Jenkins can grow into that, but it just feels like there's not anything, uh, you know, Roquan Smith is not happy being there. I don't know how much Robert Quinn has left in the tank for them. A great guy, but I feel like he may be a guy you trade off mid season, kind of like uh, they did with Von Miller last year from the Broncos to the Rams. Robert Quinn seems like a great candidate for that, but with Khalil Matt gone, just feels that the defense is young and rebuilding. They brought in a new coach. Fields doesn't have that much talent around him of proven talent outside of David Montgomery. So I just, I worry that he's going to be a guy who, what could have been, but the organization ruined him more than his own lack of talent did. Yep. I think you're kind of spot on about that. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's not really much to talk about. And I think a uh, big key is that, investment on the offensive line and I think I've said it before on this podcast and you'll probably hear me say it again a bunch of times but I really feel like you gotta somehow simultaneously invest in an offensive line and a quarterback at the same time I mean you want that quarterback on that rookie contract that's when you can shell out those big that big money um, to offensive linemen like look at what the Bengals did this offseason they saw a problem, an issue with um, the offensive line. It kind of cost them the Super Bowl. They were able to make it to the Super Bowl, but they said, hey, let's go out and get the best offensive lineman that we can to protect Joe Burrow with. They go out and get a guy like Lael Collins. They, you know, they upgrade the offensive line. Bears haven't done that. They knew the offensive line was a problem. They had a regime change, new GM, new head coach. But it was easily identifiable that the problem on offense was maybe not so much the weapons, which were a problem, but the offensive line. And they chose not to upgrade it, really. I mean, bring in Riley Reef, who I like, decent player, Lucas Patrick, decent player, right? But not world-changing offensive linemen. So I, I just – I don't know what the long-term plan is based off what the Bears did off this offseason. Yeah. And I do think it could ruin fields, like you've said. And you make a good point. The You just – oh, the Bengals. What the Bengals did this offseason, the, they saw the offensive line was getting destroyed, so they got to rebuild that. And the Chiefs did it the previous offseason heading into the 2021 season when – the Buccaneers were all over Patrick Mahomes in that Super Bowl, and that was the difference maker in the game. And they went out and drafted three guys and signed a bunch of free agents and got guys all over the place. And the Chiefs line is ma- Chiefs line is massively improved. You know, you have the quarterback you want to build around now, make life easier for him. And this is part of what trading up for a franchise quarterback does, though, is the Bears did not have a first round pick this year. Remember, they traded that so they could go up and get Fields. And then in the draft, they had two picks in the second round. They got defensive backs. Third round, they got a wide receiver. They waited till the fifth round to go get an offensive lineman. So it's just, I, you know, we're not the million-dollar GMs. Maybe we should be. But just curious what the Bears are doing when you know you have to try to make life easier for them. And sure, they go get an equanimous St. Brown, who's maybe a third or fourth wide receiver, and 
just feels like they haven't gone out to get the big difference makers for Justin Fields, guys they could you know, big do- uh, big money offensive linemen or wide receivers. Yeah, and I mean they went and got a wide receiver in the second round, but he's a 25 year old rookie. I I don't I don't understand personally. So okay, enough about the Bears. Oh, I think we can move on to the uh, the uh, last division here. We've got the NFC West, and it's really hard not to take the Rams. I mean, reigning Super Bowl champion. I feel like we have to. I at least have to take the Rams to win this division. They're bringing back, you know, most of the same guys adding in Allen Robinson for Robert Woods, who's now in Tennessee, but was injured for most of the year. Odell Beckham's gone after the injury. So they're maybe looking to fill that third wide receiver spot, but they've got some candidates between like Tutu, Tutu Atwell, Van Jefferson, Cam Akers is back off the Achilles injury. We'll see how he looks. A lot of people are hyping him up. Daryl Henderson, Matt Stafford's back. Cooper Cup, right, won the Triple Crown last year. So plenty of offense. And then you've got Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. Um, Bobby Wagner comes in on defense. So, like, the Rams are just – they're loaded for bear. Um, I think the real interesting conversation maybe is who's second in this division. I think it's the 49ers. Uh, the team that made the playoffs, unfortunately, beat the Packers somehow. I don't know how still. Um, still trying to sort that one out. Defense and special – well, special teams. Yeah, I know how. Special teams. But um, I think they're going to take – they're kind of making an interesting move by going to Trey Lance. He uh, obviously offers some more upside, or so we think, than Jimmy G. Um and they've got a lot of guys back as well, and they've upgraded at, at several positions as well. Debo, Ayu, Kittle, Elijah Mitchell was kind of a revelation as a running back. Their offensive line is solid. Seems like it always is. Their defense is good. With Bosa, Fred Warner, the rest of the defensive line, I think I think the 49ers are the second-best team here. And then the Cardinals at third, and then the Seahawks, probably one of the worst at teams in the NFL finishing fourth. So how do you see it? I think I'm with you in basically the same rankings. I don't know that I have much different rationale. I am all in on this Rams team. Uh, I think, can I, you mentioned it, so I'm going to bring it up. Am I the only person who doesn't think Allen Robinson is the savior for this team? Everybody brings up how the Rams have gotten better because they had Allen Robinson. This is going to be his ninth year in the NFL. He had an amazing 2015 with the Jags, 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns. He had one touchdown in 12 games last year, 410 yards. Yes, he did go over 1,100 yards in 2019 and 2020, but he's been very up and down. He's 2017, he basically missed all of. So he's he's just this up and down roller coaster wide receiver. I would much rather have Robert Woods if I had a choice. Van Jefferson, a phenomenal compliment. It's just Allen Robinson's fine, but this... I, I just, everybody, when they're talking about the Rams, talking about how great Allen Robinson is, I'm like, am I the only person who remembers him not having a great season last year? But I digress. You still have Cooper yeah. Cup. It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like the, like an older version of, of Terry McLaurin, where we're finally saying, you know, 
here is Allen Robinson playing with the best quarterback of his career. I don't think it's so much for me that Allen Robinson is this big savior. It's we've seen the talent in the past, and you're right. It hasn't been consistently there from a stats perspective. Um, but we've we've seen the talent, and he's moving to a new team where he's got a good offensive coach in Sean McVay and a quarterback who can get him the ball when he's open, right? He's spent most of his career with Trubisky and then rookie Justin Fields um, and also Blake Bortles and was able to do some pretty spectacular things with those guys as his quarterback. So I don't think Allen Robinson is the savior, but I I think it's more of he's a really good guy to have as your number two wide receiver kind of thing. Ah. And and he'll be he'll be a nice piece if he can stay healthy and stay on the field. Then you have you could have three weapons. One thing we don't talk about enough with the Rams because they have become kind of notorious as the mercenary team where they go get the high dollar guys, go pay whatever money you want to get Matt Stafford, Bobby Wagner, Jalen Ramsey, those kind of guys. But they have drafted really really well in finding these late round gems. They drafted Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup, four out of their five offensive linemen are all guys they drafted, and Tyler Higby, their main tight end. All these are guys they drafted, and none of them were first-round picks. Most were later than the second round, even. I don't love the running game, but they basically got by without a running game last year. Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, I think, are at best two and three running backs. I don't think they have a number one bell cow. There's no Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry for them. But you've got Sean McVay's system. You've got all these guys who know it. You've... I think this team is very capable of running it back. Aaron Donald's still there. Just Bobby Wagner coming there. The rich getting richer. Jalen Ramsey, Troy Hill. I like some of the guys they drafted too. Watch out for Darian Kendrick being an up-and-coming defensive back for them. I think this is the Rams. I don't love the Niners because I've I've not been a Trey Lance believer. I don't think that he is a franchise quarterback. But like you mentioned, they bring back basically everybody. That defense is still going to be amazing. Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Jimmy Ward, all those guys are still there. And then on the offense, uh, Trent Williams. Did you watch the NFL 100 at all, by the way, the ranked by the players list? Um, I more of saw where guys were ranked on Twitter and at a certain point um, thought that it was just ridiculous and, and not correct. So, uh <laughs> Yeah, I uh man, we can talk about this for days. I okay. I don't I don't put a lot of stock in that list at all. It was I I read that list and then I skimmed ESPN's list and how radically different some of them were. But the moral of the story is that Trent Williams, the offensive tackle for the 49ers, was ranked 14th amongst all players in the NFL. They said that he was the highest ranked offensive lineman ever in the history of the list, which I thought was a little bit shocking. I didn't realize he was that well thought of. I know he's good and he's an all pro player, but if he's truly the best offensive lineman in the game, that'll make life easier for Mr. Lance. But Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle got plenty of options. So I think it's, it's like the Saints where every other position is great. They just need the quarterback to not mess things up for them. So I think the 49ers get into the playoffs by virtue of being good everywhere and quality coaching. Like you mentioned, the Seahawks are tearing it down. They're going to be awful. They, yeah, they're, they have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and then they have Quandre Diggs on the other side. So it's a, it's a rebuild season for the Seahawks. The Cardinals, I think are going to steal a lot of headlines more or less for drama than anything else. I don't think that's Cliff Kingsbury last the season. I like Cliff Kingsbury and I think he'll be around the game for a long time, but I just don't know that this is the system for him. DeAndre Hopkins missing the first six seasons is not, or first six games is not going to help their season. 
I just, I'm not sold on Kyler Murray being the guy. I think he'll stick around. It just, he needs to really refine his skills. I think before they become this great team offensive line, they just need help everywhere. They're kind of a good team. They're going to be in that seven and nine range, but some new blood on the offensive line. I would, I'd be thrilled to see Rondale more develop next to DeAndre Hopkins and give him a one-two punch. James Conner will see if he can repeat his performance, but it just feels like other than a few guys, the likes of a Buddha Baker, a Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, I feel like they just – something's just a few, a few degrees askew from the Cardinals for me to really think they have a chance against the Rams or Niners. Yeah, I think uh, the Kyler offseason has been pretty strange. You know, the trade requests, the new contract requests, and then the new contract comes and the interesting things that are put in the contract about film study and all the things I've heard about how um, – when there's like special double XP weekends on Call of Duty that uh, <laughs> Kyler Murray uh, performs worse, I guess. Uh, something to keep track of. I'll, I'll have to keep track of the double XP weekends on uh, Call of Duty so I know, know to bet against Kyler and the Cardinals that week um, just because he performs worse. They, they did go out and get Marquise Brown, who was t- um, college teammates with Kyler at that's Oklahoma. All, that's, that's Hollywood to you, sir. I call him Marquise. He's going to have to uh, earn the Hollywood moniker again for me. Um, and he might. Um, so we, we're seeing this a lot now where these receivers want to play with guys they played with in college in the NFL. So I think you talked about Rondale Moore. I really think Marquise Brown is going to kind of carry the passing offense a little bit while uh, Hopkins is out. Then when Hopkins comes back, Kyler and Hopkins have a connection. I don't think this Arizona offense is going to struggle to put up points for the most part. I think that's something they're going to be really good at. It's what they were good at last year. I just kind of wonder if they're going to be able to stop anybody and also if Kyler can come through in the big moments. I think they're going to start out hot and fizzle, uh, much like they did last year, right? They started out undefeated, played the Packers without any sort of wide receivers in a Thursday night game and the Packers were able to win it um, on a great play by Razul Douglas. And yeah, um, I, I think the Cardinals are definitely the third team. You're not a big believer in Trey Lance. I am. I do. I do think Trey Lance could be kind of the answer that the 49ers are looking for at quarterback. If that's the case, look out, maybe the 49ers take, take this division, become the best team in the NFC if Trey Lance is what I think he could be. So we'll, we'll see. I'm not betting that, but I think there's that potential. I, you can have him. I was just trying to pull up the 2020 draft class here so I can look at all the quarterbacks. So it's 2020, 2021 draft class. That those guys were in time goes by too fast. 2021 because Trey was a rookie last year. Okay. So I was trying to look at all the quarterbacks in that. So you had Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Davis Mills, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. We're all in that class. And man, other than Trevor Lawrence, I don't know that I'm sold on any of them. Um, personally, I think, well, he landed in the best spot for success. But I also think in a way he probably has. I, I would rather have Trey Lance than any of those other guys at this point in time. I yeah, I feel like all of them are unknowns other than, well, we think we know Trevor Lawrence and then Mac Jones actually had a surprisingly good 
rookie season, all things considered, but I think he's still not quite entrenched yet. It's, they're not, they're not the Burroughs or the Herbert levels yet where we kind of know after one season. Yeah, we will really, um, we will really separate it out after this season with that quarterback class, I think. Um, and I really think, uh, Lance, it's going to become a Lance and Lawrence conversation is what, is what I think personally. And talking uh, one touch on schedules here quick, because the NFC West has a bit of a daunting interconference. So you always play four teams from a division in the other conference and it rotates. So you play whichever once every four years. So the NFC North plays the AFC East. The NFC South plays the AFC North. NFC East plays AFC South, and then the West divisions play each other. And if the AFC West is as good as we think it is, you can see a lot of ugly schedules coming out of the NFC West because when you have to play the Broncos, Chargers, Chiefs, and Raiders, and if we all think those are nine-plus win teams, some of these NFC West teams are going to get... The the nice way to say it is battle-tested. But for example, you're the Cardinals. They start versus the Chiefs, then they go to the Raiders, and then the Rams. Get a bit of a respite after that with Carolina, Philadelphia, Seattle. But man, their month of September, Chiefs, Raiders, Rams. Cardinals got their hands full. That, I'm glad you pointed that out. I guess I hadn't looked that deep into the schedule of these teams when I was picking them. Maybe I should have. But I'm really glad that the NFC West and the AFC West are are crossing over. We think the AFC West is probably the best division in the whole NFL. I think there's not really a much of a question about it you can get into it next week when you talk about the afc but we've got the two best divisions from each of the conferences crossing over with one another i think that's going to be great so i'm looking forward to you know niners niners broncos niners chiefs niners raiders right and then the cardinals crossovers because and the rams crossovers right because all three of those teams in the nfc west are capable of putting up big points. And so are all four of the AFC West teams. They're all capable of putting up big points. So bet the overs. Whenever you see those NFC West and AFC West crossovers, just go ahead and slam the overs if you're if you're gambling. But on the other side of that equation, you have to watch the AFC South versus the NFC East. Bet the unders. <laughs> take, take the unders in that equation. This- so... This is kind of a fun year. Like you get the NFC North versus the AFC East, which, you know, Packers, Patriots feels like it's a, no matter how good the teams are, that feels like one of those special games that when it pops up, like, oh, cool, the Jags are playing the Saints. Like, who cares? But Packers, Patriots feels like it's one of those games that people should get excited for that you kind of, it's so rare to see those two play each other. Well, and, you know, we're obviously, we're going to get stoked for Packers Bills at the last, uh, the last week of October, I believe that's a Sunday night game on NBC. So, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, right? Probably, maybe, in some people's eyes, the two best quarterbacks playing right now. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get great matchups like that. The Packers get to play Christmas Day in Miami. You should go to that. I would absolutely love to. Um I probably won't, but oh. it would be it would be a fun time for sure. Can I ask you a controversial question about JJ Watt remembering that he's on the Cardinals? Yeah, let's hear it. 
So the 2011 NFL draft class is amazing. If you ever get a chance to look at it, it's for my money, I think like the best draft in the last 20 years. Is J.J. Watt the best defensive end slash outside linebacker in this class? I will give you a list of names. Von Miller, Cam Jordan, J.J. Watt, Justin Houston, Robert Quinn, and Cameron Hayward. I ask you this because J.J. Watt was not in the top 100 this year. Von Miller was. Cam Jordan was. Cam Hayward was. Robert Quinn was. I know you said you don't put stock in that top 100 list, but I'm wondering was... J.J. Watt better for a shorter period of time, but totality of career, are any of these guys better than him? Because J.J. Um, the most all-pros, first-team all-pros, I should say. Yeah, I think I have to give it to Von Miller. He does lead the class in sacks. Ever like, so quietly, Von Miller. I feel like... Von Miller gives you slightly more production than what J.J. Watt has. He's somehow been able to maybe be a little bit healthier. Um, but, man, there were just so many good pass rushers in that draft class. Yeah, and that's I was just thinking about this. Like, So Cameron Jordan has fewer tackles, but he has a few more sacks and has been a starter for more years. Like, Is it crazy to think that Cam Jordan, Cam Hayward, or Robert Quinn are better than J.J. Watt? Or does his peak years make up for that? I think the peak years of J.J. Watt make up for where he's maybe at now. So just... Those are the guys you value, the Cam Harrods, the Cam Jordan, if you want sustained success over a long period of time. But the highs with them weren't nearly as high as the highs with J.J. Watt. And we were maybe robbed a little bit by the injuries that J.J. Watt sustained as to uh, maybe that peak could have extended a little bit. So this, this draft class has like 15 or 20 Hall of Famers in it. J.J. Watt, Julio Jones, Patrick Peterson, Von Miller, Richard Sherman, Cam Hayward, Cam Jordan, Jason Kelsey, Tyron Smith, A.J. Green, Cam Newton, Robert Quinn, Ryan Kerrigan. My goodness. Yeah, Mike Mike Pouncey, yeah. um, Christian Ponder. No, I'm just kidding. He's a <laughs> it was, he's it was that quarterback class. Other other than the quarterbacks in that class, outside of Cam he, Newton, he's in the Packers Hall of Fame for all the wins he gave us over the years. So, um, no, um, Andy Dalton, Kaepernick. No, um, <laughs> I don't think any of those guys are making the Hall of Fame. But yeah, Rodney Hudson. If you want to look down there, Randall Cobb. I mean, when you, even when you keep going down the list, there's a lot of guys. So, yeah, 2011 draft just completely loaded. I guess it makes up for other years where it's not as loaded, but that year was absolutely stacked. Do you want to make some playoff picks before we get out of here for the NFC? Let's do it. Okay, so your you're four division winners again. You Eagles, Rams, Packers, Bucks. do we have the same four? Uh, yeah, I think we 100% have the same four. And who are your three wild cards then? Cowboys, the Lions, and the Niners. Niners. So we 
let's see, what do we have? Uh, we have all the same, except for we flip the Vikings and the Lions. And my, I think I have to go to the Cowboys over the Saints just because I can't trust Jameis or Andy Dalton at this stage. So only one team different. And who's going to make it through the NFC playoff? If you, if, if we ask you to do an impromptu little bracket. I think we're headed for a Packers Buccaneers in Lambeau Field. Did we have that a couple um, years ago? We did. I think uh, the Packers break through this time. Ooh. Green Bay in the Super Bowl. I think that last week of October, that Packers-Bills game in October is a preview of what's to come. Ooh. Yep. So uh, Packers-Bills, Super Bowl. Bet it now. Such. So there's your AFC preview. Since we're going to have somebody else on... <laughs> Couple guys next week for the AFC. We had to get Andrew's quick snapshot of the AFC preview. I mean, Bills, Chargers, Chiefs, right? Top three AFC. So that's for for my money. Those are the top three. But you can dig into that next week. But okay. it's going to come down to one of those three, and I'll take the Bills. Bills, Packers, like- cold weather Super Bowl. Where is the Super Bowl this year? We should figure that out. I don't know. They should just play it in Lambeau for fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know where it actually is. It'll probably be somewhere indoors. Somewhere the year we get two cold weather teams, it'll be indoors. What say you? Do you want to pick an MVP on the spot? Man, I think um, maybe this is the year we get Josh Allen as the MVP. I'm finally going to break through. Yeah, well... I mean, I I want with everything in me to say Russ, but I just don't think uh, Denver has quite the team or will be quite good enough for Russ to break through and actually win it. Um, I think it's going to become a Josh Allen-Justin Herbert conversation. Hmm. I don't think they would give it to Aaron Rodgers three years in a row, even if his stats lined up with the past two years, which I think they very well could. I think his stats could be on par with where he has been when he went back-to-back MVP. I just don't think the voters are going to give it to him three years in a row. So I think it's going to become an Allen Herbert race. Yeah, I I think you're right on that. We saw this with Tom Brady where I think he put up like video game numbers his first year in Tampa. Or no, it was just last year. And they still like, okay, it's Tom Brady. It's, you know, he's, how many times can we give him the MVP put up? career highs in completions, attempts, touchdowns, and yards last year in Tampa. And people are saying, that's Tom Brady. So I think Aaron Rodgers could be crossing over into that. They're going to look at Burrow, Mahomes, Herbert, Allen, those guys to kind of be the next generation to get it. Also, the Super Bowl is in Arizona this year. Great. Green Bay loves playing in Arizona. They do well there. Um, Let's go. Arizona, Phoenix, and then New Orleans. I was just going to look up here quick. Other Super Bowls that have been in Arizona and who played in it. So we had the Cowboys, Cowboys, Giants, and the Patriots have won the three Super Bowls in Arizona. Nice. So take that for whatever it's worth. Cowboys, Giants, Patriots? Cowboys beat the Steelers, Giants beat the Patriots, and then the Patriots beat the Seahawks. Giants, Patriots 2011 or 2007 edition? The 2007 season. Great. The David Tyree helmet catch. One of my favorite Super Bowls. Yeah. The, just purely for the fact that Tom Brady didn't win. It, it wasn't. It's fun when we can all unite behind something like that, where the Patriots 
get their perfect season spoiled. It's good unifying force we need as sports fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, anything else? Oh, yeah. We got to get to your uh, your UFC because we didn't have you on last week in the insane, shocking Kamaru Usman getting his head kicked off that nobody saw coming. I mean, I certainly didn't see it coming. I mean, I had plenty of money riding on Kamaru Usman, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this is great. You know, he's got it. He's got it locked up, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this, and Edwards looks like he's completely shot, and he's all but giving it up, and then in all in a moment with uh, less than a minute to go in the fifth round of, of the fight, you know, Edwards swings that left leg up there and gets Usman on the side of the head and just completely knocks him out and not at all what I expected. I mean, that's Usman's first real loss in the UFC. If, if I'm correct me, unless if I'm wrong, but um, I just, I've never seen Kamara Usman losing that way. He usually, grinds out fights and makes them go the distance. And that's how he wears people down. And it looks like it looked like he was really doing that to Edwards. Maybe Edwards won the first round if you want to be generous, but like Kamara Usman won the other four until the knockout. And I was really, it, it was crazy. Um, and I mean, the Costa fight before it was, was good. The Costa rock hold, was a good fight back and forth as well. Um, Josie Aldo, that fight that he was in and lost, it was a good three fights. I, I wasn't expecting much, but those three fights back to back to back like that was absolutely insane. And I, I just love the Joe Rogan memes that have come out of it to the, the Joe Rogan face. I mean, Joe Rogan was, you know, I think his mouth, his jaw is still on the floor right now. I, I can't say that I blame him that, Watching that Leon Edwards kick never gets old. It's just, it was kind of late. It feels a little bit like it was late in the fight. It's going for broke. It's like, hey, here's your one time in your life to reach your goal, lay everything on the table. But then you watch it, the way he kind of set it up, he got he got Usman to duck his head, and it's almost like Usman ducked his head right into the kick. So it kind of tells you that he's bobbing and weaving, and Edwards must have had him set up and got him moving right where he wanted to. And you talk about it late in the fifth round and it feels like, oh, well, that's, you know, it was just throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him to get the win. But also it reminded me of, man, this is more than 10 years ago now, the Chael Son and Anderson Silva where Sonnen dominated him for four and a half rounds. And then in the final 30 seconds, Silva catches him and gets him to tap out. And you're like, Silva was planning out the entire time. He was just playing with him a little bit and making it seem close. Or, or did he really just throw a Hail Mary? But Either way, a stunning end of the fight, and I think you're right. I think it is Usman's first win in the UFC, so absolutely stunning finish, and I think we talked about it last week. Congrats to Mr. Edwards on getting the big win, and I think they run it back. I don't think there's any way you can't not have those two fight again, whether it's immediately or maybe Edwards gets somebody else in between then, but I'd have them fight again sooner than later. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know it's pretty booked up. I think the main events are pretty booked up through the end of this year, but early on next year, I think we get Usman Edwards three. And that's the great thing about it is we're going to get Usman Edwards three, probably in short order. And it'll be a rematch for the title and everything will be on the line and Edwards will have to prove it. So it's, it's going to be uh it's going to be an interesting time. So I, I just wanted to get my two cents in about that. Let's we'll get you back on here in a couple of weeks to, uh, we have UFC 279, but there's not a belt on the line. It's Hamza Chimaev and Nate Diaz. So 
we get a fun Nate Diaz fight on September 10th, but then it's a little bit of a while till we get into, then you get Charlie Olives and Islam Makachev, but then you get, oh, UFC 281, you get Adesanya. So a couple of little fights here mixing in. I'm not sure if the kind of the New Year's time UFC tends to put together some great cards. So 282, 283, I don't know if that's too close to run it back with them again, but hopefully within the next six months, we get those guys fighting again. I would personally love it. Uh would love to see it. So I- I'm with you. I'm right on board. Well, anything else for this week's show? Uh, Scott Frost, does he make it through the season? <laughs> yes or no? The, maybe it's a wake-up call. They So they have two should-be gimme games in the next two weeks. I think it's like Georgia State and somebody else. But then you get Oklahoma in their fourth game of the year. If by somehow they beat Oklahoma, I think all, I think all is redeemed and he's forgiven. It's I think he needs eight or nine wins to save his job, but I don't think it's out of the question. This could have been the wake-up call that they needed. Or it's just Nebraska needs to accept the fact that it's not the 80s and 90s anymore and everybody's caught up to them and get used to having seven-win seasons like the rest of us. I mean, seven wins would be great for them, right? <laughs> seven wins would be a high watermark compared to where they've been over the last seven years since Pelini left. So, I mean, the moment I saw that onside kick happen when they were up 11, I uh, immediately went and put as much money as I could, as I had in my account on (laughs) Northwestern to win. I said, this is it. This is classic Scott Frost. He just did something dumb. It's going to cost him. It's going to come back to bite him on the butt. Northwestern's winning this game, and that's exactly what unfolded. So I'm looking forward to uh, watching the absolute meltdown and watching uh, how soon it is before Scott's ushered out of town. So um, I think it should have been after last season, but it's probably going to happen after this season finally. So um, just excited for – the real opening of college football this weekend, we had a little bit of a soft opening this past weekend, but we're full on and we're, we're in it and it's, it's a great weekend for college football. So I don't really want to get too much into it, but a lot of big games coming up this weekend capped off by Ohio state, Notre Dame. Remember when Nebraska fired Bo Pelini for going like nine and three every year and he wasn't good enough. Okay. So Tom, I- Quick history lesson here. Tom Osborne's last season was 1997. I believe they were national champions that year, 13-0, and won the Orange Bowl. I think. Yep. Okay, so they had Frank Solich, 9-4, and 12-1, and 10-2, 11-2, 7-7, 10-3. Fired him. He wasn't good enough. Took him to a Fiesta Bowl, an Alamo Bowl, a Rose Bowl, yada, yada, yada. Bill Callahan comes in. Yeah, he's fine. He has an 8-4, and four, peaks at 9-5. and five. Get rid of him. Bo Pelini. Nine and four, ten and four, ten and four, nine and four, ten and four, nine and four, nine and four. Not good enough. Winning nine plus games in seven seasons was not good enough for Nebraska. They've won nine games one time since then. And that's so this is the fifth year of Scott Frost. They had the forgotten three years of Mike Riley in between there. So seven full seasons, one nine win season since then. It just cracks me up how Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, and Frank Solich all weren't good enough despite averaging nine-plus wins. And now look where yeah. they are. Well, you'll, you'll remember the last game of uh, Bo Pelini's career as Nebraska coach, uh, regular season, I should say, was a loss to Iowa. Um, and the AD at the time says something to the effect of, 
when they let Bo Pelini go, we had to really evaluate where Iowa was as a program. Since that comment has been made, Nebraska has not beat Iowa head-to-head. That's what matters. Just, just throwing just throwing that out there. They had to really evaluate where Iowa was as a program. They hired Mike Riley. That was a disaster. Scott Frost, still a disaster. Uh, maybe just bring back Bo Pelini, I guess. What is uh, it? I, I don't it. know. Let me see what Wikipedia says about what he's doing, other than being the most terrifying person I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, absolutely. He was a grad assistant at Iowa. Bo Pelini, yeah. Let's see, he da 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 da. He was at Youngstown State. Yep. And then he was the defensive coordinator at LSU. He was dismissed from his position in December of 2020. So it looks like he may not have been coaching since then. Sounds about right. So, I mean, he's available. Give him a call. How can Urban Meyer keep getting jobs with Bo Pelini can't? I, I just want to. I saw that the other day. I was like, wait, did Fox really bring back Urban Meyer to be on their football coverage? I was stunned by that. I I was too. Um I really felt like Stoops was better than uh, Urban Meyer was in the year that Urban Meyer was trying to coach the Jacksonville Jaguars. So absolutely stunning move, but I, I digress. And, and we, we've run over a little bit going off on bunny trails here, but hey, it, we, it's we, fun. We got all the time in the world. It's just a matter of where you got to be. Uh, we could absolutely talk about the downfall of Nebraska football, and I would enjoy every second of it. I won't go on and on, but I could. See, I'm 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 not a Nebraska hater. I I just like it when all those teams that think they're elite, Iowa, get brought back to the fold and realize that they're not. It's it's not eternal. Alabama has down years. We forget Alabama was terrible before Nick Saban came back. So these teams like Nebraska that think they should be blue bloods forever, anytime they get knocked down a peg, I enjoy. So. Welcome back to the club this year, Notre Dame, LSU. One of these days it'll happen to Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State again. It, it didn't happen to Clemson last year? Yeah, but Dabble's still there, so unless he like has another year of it. you, I think you get like a 10-year grace period when you win several national championships. Oh, is that how it works? Okay, I got it. Yeah, I, I think that's an official rule written down somewhere. It's in a, got it. Sign up, card. I mean, you mentioned Iowa, but I mean, what Nebraska fan wouldn't kill to have uh, the program that Iowa's had over the last seven years? I mean, they I think Nebraska fans, if they're being honest with themselves, they would kill to have the success that Iowa's had over the past seven years. Shoot, they'd even want the success that Iowa State has had over the past seven years, right? They would They would covet that more than where they've been right now if they're being honest with themselves. They'd kill to have what Kansas State has right now. I mean, with Adrian Martinez, yeah, probably. <laughs> they, I mean, really, they blamed last season on Adrian Martinez. He left. He's going to Kansas State this year. We'll see how he does at Kansas State. I suspect he'll have a little bit better success than he did at Nebraska, probably because Kansas State just has more of a winning culture. Wait, I I think I figured this out. So Kirk Ferentz got hired by Iowa. His first year was 1999. Tom Osborne's last year at Nebraska was 1997. So I get there's like a one-year overlap there. 
but is there some voodoo witchcraft happening here where Iowa like stole the soul of Nebraska? Like Kirk Ferentz had to do some deal with the devil. So as long as he's at Iowa, Nebraska can't be good. Um, I'm not sure about that. I think it's more of just like Nebraska thought that the triple option would be the go-to offense for college football forever. Uh, that did not materialize. College football offenses started going to, you know, the forward pass, and Nebraska couldn't keep up with that. But the other thing is that, right, um, and spread, the spread, and Nebraska not rolling with that, trying to do something more old school than that. And now you're really, you're so far removed from the success of the nineties that like, it's not a, it's not a legacy thing for kids anymore. And who wants to go to the middle of nowhere to play football when you have similar offers from other programs that have had more success and are in nicer places. Um, so, Miss, Miss, Mr. Hawkeye, are you trying to lecture us on football in the stone age and not modernizing? Uh, yes, I am. Hmm. And you can say that Iowa is not modernized, but there's actually, if you watch it, there's actually a lot of modern concepts in their offense. And they uh, they actually went to more wide receiver sets. I mean, they definitely, you know, it's not shotgun, spread you out, throw the ball a bunch of times, four wide receiver sets. That's never going to be the thing for the Iowa offense. Um, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. I think they've striked a nice balance, struck a nice balance with modernizing the offense to a point and um, not getting too far out of their their element, right? Because there's just certain positions, right, in, on Midwest teams where high-profile wide receivers are always going to pick your Ohio States, your Clemsons, your Bamas, your Georgias, right, LSU. They're going to Texas, right, Oklahoma. They're going to pick those teams, right, just because simply because they're blue bloods. You're not going to get a lot of high-profile wide receivers going to a lot of other programs. So I think they've struck a nice balance between between the two. But Nebraska has been slow to adjust to that, and that's part of the issue. Yeah. It's again, like you said, hard to get kids to want to go to Lincoln, Nebraska. So unless they want to roll out some nice NIL deals and get these kids to come there, I think it's going to be a long road to hoe for them. So they got to start rolling out some pretty nice sponsorship packages for these kids. Probably. And and that may not even be enough. But. Well, I think that's going to be enough for us this week. You've gone well over our hour. Thank you for bearing with us. A lot we want to sink our teeth into. I've not talked to Andrew about this. We're so going to put him on the spot here. Do you want to do a slightly belated fantasy show in two weeks? I would absolutely love that. I, I know it might be a little bit late. So, um, you'll Somebody... be <laughs> probably well past the point of drafting at that point. Um, Somebody forgot so to best of luck to everyone on their drafts. It's, yeah, it, I mean, you only miss one week. They still let you sign up after. After one week. Yeah, best of best of luck in your fantasy drafts, people. You won't be getting anything from us prior to all of your drafts going down. I mean, most of mine have already gone down, but to what, be quite honest. So what we're gonna do is save those people who draft you know 
I can't even think of somebody, Joe Mixon, first overall, and then he tears his ACL in the first carry and misses the whole season. Just, we've all been there in fantasy where somebody's going to go get Cooper Cup. He's going to break his leg on a kick return, and then you're SOL the whole season. We, we've all had those moments happen to us, so we're going to save you those week one season-ending injury picks. Well, if you take Joe Mixon number one overall, then I, I can't help you. You're beyond saving at that point. Anyways, we can get into it here in a couple weeks. Maybe we'll just do more of a here's where the fantasy football landscape is at and where you should go now than a preseason preview type thing. So, Works for me. All right. Well, that is episode 73 in the books. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you next week to talk about the AFC, and then in two weeks we're going to talk some fantasy football. Thank you all for joining us. 